Hey Rockheads, this is Carl with an update on Music to Code By. On January 4th, 2016, I released the 11th Music to Code By track, Gold. That's right, there are now 11 25-minute tracks, including the original three. And you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1278, with guest Brian Noyes. Recorded Thursday, March 24th, 2016. And then we came back from build. And then the guy hit himself in the head with a shovel. <laughs> that was an actual comment that you made on a video on that other show that we used to do. Well, a still do a long time ago. Mondays, we're watching yep. a video of some people being absolute idiots and just <laughs> running around and hitting themselves <laughs> in the head with snow shovels. Snow shovels. All right. Well, it's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. We're .NET Rocks, and uh, we've been doing this now for over 13 years, and this is just another show, right, Richard? Yeah, this is the one after uh, Build, so I'm excited about it, and um, got a great guest, as usual. Yeah, our good friend Brian Noyes is here. He's been with us since pretty much the beginning of the show, and uh, we'll be talking to him um, about a lot of things, I bet, coming up here in just a few minutes. But first, it's Better Know a Framework. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? Well, Richard, uh, I found this interesting, free, and open-source video conference solution called Hubble.in, H-U-B-L.in, and I don't know how to pronounce it, and I'm everybody's dinging me these days about mispronouncing things that you never hear pronounced because you're right. reading it on a website. Hublin, I don't know. But Let's anyway, do Hublin. I like Hublin. What they say is it's built with love and designed with ethics in mind. It's the best. So, you know, those kinds of video, you can't, it won't work. Right. Oh, really? The, okay. uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's the so best it's way to initiate a communication anywhere with anybody and brings real-time conversation to the next level. Hublin allows free communication without additional plugins. And you go to the site and it basically says you allow your browser to use your camera and microphone and you basically go point to point. It uses WebRTC. So that's decentralized communication between browsers. So your video conference isn't streamed to any server in any way. Interesting, huh? Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, um, since it's a web-based technology, that may may or may not work with phone gap apps, I'm thinking. I'm, I don't know what the the answer is to that. but uh, well, and, the, and the whole thing's open source. I mean, you can go look at the code base, right? It's on GitHub. Yeah. Sure is interesting, though, and I haven't used it like most things I find on Better Know Framework, haven't used them at all, but I, they do, you know, pique my interest, and that's what this thing has done. Very Pe interesting. Piques my interest. I want to try and test it out with, uh, you know, at least on the desktop at first, and then maybe with a mobile app. Let's try it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 971, which we did about two years ago, almost in the nose. We talked to Mr. Noise yeah. about uh, WPF and Win8 and Prism and all those good things. Mm-hmm. And uh, this particular comment is from Kevin Brew, a couple years old, but uh, very relevant. He says, great show as always. So much great content now that I'm struggling to listen to it all during my short commute to work. You know, you can also listen when you work out, when you do the dishes, when you mow the lawn, you know, yeah. walk the dog. Work, yeah. Yeah, I, I I got an email from a guy the other day. He said my dog had to do an extra lap around the park because I like the show so much. <laughs> That's great. It's <That> good. <laughs> I'm sure the dog didn't mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's fine. Yeah, it's just fine. Uh, I goes on to say I have moved on to .NET in my previous jobs, and I thought I'd left a Visual Basic six behind until I started where I am now three years ago. That would now be five years ago. Oh wow! The WinForm software we sell is completely written badly exclusively in VB6. The original software was written before the days of .NET. When requests come in for changes or fixes, I have to wade through pages of code in the click events. Mm. I refactor as I go, but the code is crying, rewrite me! Yeah. However, it's been management's decision to extend the life of the current application with a quick fix of applying Common Controls 6. Okay, rant over. Thank you guys for reminding me that software development is still exciting and evolving. I think there's a little uh, pain there, buddy. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I got nothing bad to say about VB6, but it's got to be tough in 2014 mm. to be working on, on maintaining software like that. But I can also, having spent time as management, respect it is very hard to justify the cost and the risk of a rewrite of the app mm. unless you can get something significant from it. Maybe, Kevin, here's your opportunity. If you talk about modern technology and why you might want to rewrite the app, it's got to be getting on the internet in a meaningful way, which, mm-hmm. you know, VB6 just couldn't do, or becoming a mobile app or a tablet app in some way that provides an important value, a new proposition that'll maintain their market share or even grow it. If you can take the problem on that way, you might get your dream of rewriting that software. Well, and it's not really true that you can't get a VB6 app on the internet. It's just that you have sockets. That's it. And I re- I know this because I wrote a book about it, a couple of books, actually. Well, one about VB4, one about VB6. But but you can um, do simple rest calls with sockets. It's in- incredibly easy, but it's still something that has to be done. You know, you, you can't, uh, for example, you'd have to write your own packers and unpackers, you know, serializers and deserializers, that kind of thing. Or you could rewrite it in .NET. Right. Kevin, thank you so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. If you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us tweets. We hang them on the walls. And now it's time to bring on Brian Noise. Bring back. He's Obviously been here many, many times before. Brian is co-founder of Saliance, a plural site author, a Microsoft regional director, and an MVP. He focuses on rich desktop, web, and mobile clients and services with ASP.NET, WCF, and Azure. Welcome back, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me back. Well, it's always good to talk to you. And uh, I think the last time we talked to you, it was about Prism, wasn't it? Yeah, it sounds right. Uh, last year sometime. Right, when it went uh, open source. And uh, how's that going, by the way? It's going very well, uh, despite me. 
<laughs> the last few months I've been uh, somewhat overcommitted and not uh, not contributing anywhere near as much as I should be to that. So right. Brian Lagunas has really been running the show there, and uh, we had a, a community member from from Belgium. Uh, uh, Bart Lanoyer uh, jumped in, and and he's been handling a lot of the UWP stuff in my absence. So, well, that's it's still trucking along well, and and those guys are, you know, keeping it moving forward and and staying responsive to the community. And I'm going to jump back in there as soon as I get past a few deadlines here. So, speaking of those few deadlines, what have you been doing? I've been doing a lot of uh, mobile, so a, a big project using Cordova and the Visual Studio tools for Cordova. Uh, some WPF stuff still. There's always always lots of that uh, going around. Mm-hmm. Some Azure stuff. Some uh, taking some folks from WCF into the web API world. So kind of all over the board in the stack. Yeah, moving everything forward there. How do you like the Cordova tools in Studio? I've heard mixed reviews. Well, so I like what they want to become. Right. Um, they they definitely. They're a big improvement over what your alternatives were beforehand uh, in terms of just kind of unifying the experience of, of working on Cordova. Um, it, it's interesting, though, the, you know, the, the time to debug, you know, is something, you know, making estimates on this project was, was a, a wake-up call for me because it had been a while since I'd, I'd worked on a mobile app. And, you know, I go and I look at a, a given requirement and I go, oh, sure, we can do that in, let's say, eight hours. Well, I forgot to, you know, remind myself that when you're talking mobile, you almost have to double that. Right. <laughs> right. Just because of the the slowness to get to hitting a break point, you know, in, in very literal terms. And, uh, and Cordova doesn't fix any of that. Neither does the Visual Studio tools at the current time. It's definitely something they're working on. Um, but, you know, it, it's... Definitely a lot better. The Visual Studio emulator for Android is way faster than the Android SDK one. Yeah. But there's still just this cycle time that if I make one line of code change and I want to go make sure I didn't break something or that that one line of code does what it's supposed to, you know, the number of minutes you waste to get to that point really accrues over time. Wow. And so I still find actually, and, you know, hate hate to say it against Microsoft, but my fastest debug cycle on my working on the front end part on on the Cordova app right now is to have the code in Mac OS uh, and be using Visual Studio code at least. So using some Microsoft in there. So that's Mm -hmm. definitely my editor of choice. But Visual Studio code, command line compile, run with Xcode for either the simulator or uh, or a tethered device. Mm. And it's actually just as quick to, to debug on the tethered device. Hmm. And so I can and, get down and to... Are you are running an iOS device as well, like you were doing in Cordova to, to go for both Android and iOS at once? Uh, correct, yeah. And, and actually, part of the tool suite there for uh, on the Visual Studio side is actually very impressive, is that you can be doing your compile and build and setting breakpoints in Visual Studio on your Windows machine or in a Windows VM. Right. And then running in the iOS environment with this remote build uh, command line, a node-based tool that they have. And that's actually, in some cases, faster than running on the Android emulator on the same box. So that's really interesting. So you're talking really about um, having Windows installed 
with Bootcamp, right? And then using Parallels or, or VMware or something like that to well, bring it up in a Yeah, VM. exactly. So it doesn't have to be Bootcamp when I'm, if I'm using my Mac machine, then I'll, and I'm focusing on the Android side, yeah. then I'll definitely boot into Bootcamp so that I right. can fire up the VM. Really, the emulator there is really just a, a Hyper-V thing right. uh, that doesn't really work so well in, in virtualized environments. So if I'm focusing on Android side, I'll go ahead and boot on, go to boot camp because I've got a 16 gig, uh, you know, Mac, MacBook Pro here. Right. It's a lot faster than on my Surface. Um, but if I'm focusing on the iOS side, then I will have uh, Parallels running, have Visual Studio in the Parallels VM talking to the macOS environment through that remote build tool. And when you're building, are you actually testing both versions at once, or you just focus on one to get to a certain point and then go check the other version? Yeah, I tend to do. I tend to jump back and forth that way. Um, they are working on a feature, and off the top of my head, I don't know what the official status of it is. Um, but they they've got kind of a um, uh, what's the what's the feature called in ASP.NET where you keep all the uh, browser sync. Yeah. So they're working on a browser sync like capability uh, with the Visual Studio tools to be able to, you know, ha- keep two devices in sync. Um, but just inherently the iOS device has to be on a different machine. Well, it doesn't have to be, you could do Android on, on Mac OS as well, right. but you're typically going to have, you know, either virtualized or real two machines that you're working on when you're jumping back and forth between those two. So what do you prefer, Android or iOS, in terms of the developer experience? Uh, I, well, I'm still an iOS fan. You know, I got an iPhone a long time ago and got iPads, and I have my MacBook Pro. And, you know, I love Windows, and I, I even love Windows Phone and, and certainly Windows 10 now as, a, as an operating system on right. phones. But it's just never taken off enough in terms of the number of apps and the quality of apps for me to stay there long. So yep. I, I'm kind of an iOS guy when it comes to mobile devices. So you don't find uh, the Android experience as pleasurable, let's say? You know, I I can't say with any certainty because I've honestly never given it a long enough try. I gave Windows Phone several long tries of, of months at a time. Oh, so um, when you I'm, develop for Cordova, you're just targeting iOS and not Android? No, I'm tar- targeting Android too, but I've got a team and they've got Android devices. Ah, got it. Yeah, I'm working with a team over in Portugal. Uh, some MVPs you guys may have met before mm. uh, for, for Virgilio uh, space in his last name off the top of my head. But anyway, yeah, I've got an offshore team. They've got Android devices. So they're doing the, you know, the testing on the hardware themselves. I've got nice. the iOS devices. So Very I cool. cover that end. And Xcode's pretty pleasurable to use, isn't it? Well, honestly, in this space, the only thing I use Xcode for is stop and run. Um, oh, I'm doing command line builds using the Cordova command line. Um, basically, it generates an Xcode project that you open up in Xcode. Yeah. So you go edit your, at least my cycle. There's a lot of different ways to skin this, but my cycle is I edit in Visual Studio code, mm-hmm. save, pull up the terminal, do a quick Cordova build iOS, switch to Xcode click the run button, and then it's running on either the simulator or the uh, physical device, depending on which I had selected. Yeah, that makes sense. And then for for debugging, you fire up a fourth thing, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. just sounds kind of crazy on its own. Um, But uh, Safari has a built-in thing called Web Inspector that's a lot like the Chrome debug tools. 
and you can attach that to the running web view that's on the physical device or in the simulator. So that's where you have to go to say your breakpoints. And uh, are you using any UI binding libraries for your your web front ends? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, we started out of the gate with Ionic, which is, you know, kind of a combination. It's a Cordova project. So um, Ionic builds on top of both Cordova and Angular as a, as a UI framework. Yeah. So it's inherently Angular, but Ionic has some, you know, uh, UI components that you get to use. And they have some just kind of runtime environment stuff that you can take, advi- take advantage of as well. My team recently completed a project with Ionic and it was it was really good. Yeah, it was a great project. So yeah, uh, no, you, are you guys st- have been working with us. That's right. Are you still working with um, with Ionic, or are you um, just pure Angular now, or what's what's the story? Well, on, in the mobile app, it's definitely still Ionic, okay. you know, because Ionic just kind of forms a. I think of it as a layer on top of Angular that's you know tailored to the mobile environment. Sure. But it's interesting; it even runs in the browser because I was able to. We had this one part of the app we're building is a fairly complicated uh, editor for building up a basically a sales campaign. Mm-hmm. So there's a good I don't know 30, 40 different inputs in there with uploading images and you know tons of drop downs and all that kind of right. stuff. And I was able to take the code with almost no modification and drop it into an ASP.NET web app. Well, really just a web app because it's really running more as an Angular app at that point. And uh, just a few little tweaks here and there, like the image uploading was different because I was using Cordova-specific plugins to do the the file management on the mobile device and just had to switch to different uh, components for that in the web browser. Yeah. But I was able to basically take that, you know, that portion of our functionality and drop it in a web app in about two hours' time. Cool. So I'm always curious to know, you know, when somebody says what what tools they're using and stuff, if they did a real analysis of all the stuff that was out there and came to the decision they like this one better and why, or was it just because you had had some experience with it and and that's what you decided to go with? That's a good question. Um, and it's the same kind of question I go through a lot with customers and trying to pick the right tool set mm. because sometimes it'll be Xamarin, sometimes it'll be Cordova. Mm. Uh, very rarely these days do customers want to stick to pure native, um, although that equation could shift again with all the different native uh, platforms that are in development now that are not a, you know, the, they're more HTML native platforms that are being developed uh so they are cross-platform but native and uh so this this particular project we decided to go with cordova um partly based on the skill set of the team that was going to be working on it Uh, the customer actually had no particular knowledge or care about what we built it with Mm. as long as you know we could assure them we knew how to use that tool set and it would meet their needs um, we did consider Xamarin for a while, but a lot of it has to do with just looking at the, the functionality set and saying, is there anything here, you know, that a particular choice of platform will significantly be easier or harder? Well, there are and, other, there are other Cordova-ish or Cordova, you know, frameworks or whatever, like, uh, you know, native script is one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you guys look at that? No, we didn't. At the time, it was, uh, you know, it was partly the, the skill, skill set of the team I was going to use and also just the, 
you know, sort of the popularity of Ionic. And I was already, you know, very comfortable with Angular myself from working with it on other projects and teaching people about it. Uh, So, you know, Mm. learning a little bit of Ionic sprinkled on top of that seemed like the less risky proposition to me. And the fact is it's got, you know, great community support itself. Sure does, Um, yeah. There have been a few little, you know, glitchy things we've run into that we've been able to track down and blame Ionic for, but we've generally been able to find workarounds for those. Yep quick we had the same experience yep. yeah just a couple of weird weird glitchy things that they there took a couple hours to research and another two hours to resolve but you know that kind of thing yeah exactly that's no. be true of all ui emulators right like that's just a fundamental problem here is you are writing in one language to compile to another to work on a particular device there's gonna be some stuff well actually with cordova you're not doing that unless you're writing a plugin right so Cordova is, you know, web technologies running in the web view on the on the native device. So you're technically you're just running through the mobile browser without the browser Chrome uh, surrounding it. So there's no, you know, cross compilation type things going on there. But you are running it in a in an environment where, uh, let's say you're, you know, you are you're you're in uncharted territory, right? Because, and that's where you run into these little glitchy problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and definitely that's been, you know, some of the, the more challenging parts where we just hit something and be like, crap, what do we do here? It have been simply because, well, even just getting your app ready to go to the store, for example, you go into this, this app integrates with Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, uh, YouTube, and we're going to be adding other ones. So there's a lot of social media integration in this app. And you go out to the website, the developer website for each one of those, and you have to set up with them. You have to set yourself up as, quote, an app that's going to be using their APIs. And the choices are always binary. You're either iOS, Android, or you're a web app. And none of those, you're really none of those when you're doing Cordova. You're a little bit of all because you're going to run on iOS and you're going to run on Android, but you're being built with web technologies, but you're not in the browser. So yep. certain things like normal redirect type scenarios are not going to work for you yeah. unless you use the in-app browser plugin. So it gets kind of complicated. And, and so those have definitely been the edge cases where at times I've gone, ah, I wish I would have gone with Xamarin. I think this would have been easier there. But uh, overall, it's been a pretty good experience. It, it, as you sort of sensed from my, you know, rattling off all the different tools I use, it's still a very fragmented kind of workflow. You can you can try to just stay in Visual Studio tools for Cordova at this point and use the remote build on iOS. Yeah. And it will work, but you won't be your most productive because it's just not as fast. Like I said, my cycle time when I'm on the pure iOS environment I was talking about mm-hmm. is about 10 to 15 seconds from edit to run. And then there's another, you know, 15 to 30 seconds to open up the web inspector, find the script file I want and set a breakpoint. Now there's a tool out there I haven't had a chance to use. I just heard about the other day from, uh, forget who was telling me about this called Gap Debug. Uh-huh. Have you guys heard of that one? No. Yeah, so I, I definitely want to check this out. The one you know problem I have with the quick cycle time on the iOS side is Web Inspector goes away every time you shut down your debug session. Oh uh, yeah. Um, so you have to go reset all your breakpoints on every single run, which is very tedious. But it's in the end, it's not really that time consuming unless you're doing some really convoluted debug scenario where you know you need twenty different breakpoints. 
Um, it, it's just one of those annoyances, but the, it's better to me than doing it in Visual Studio tools and sitting there looking at either Visual Studio 2015 just completely frozen up and not responding, mm-hmm. which it usually comes back for. Sometimes it departs in a hasty way <laughs> with a crash, mm-hmm. um, but there's just a lot of staring at a screen kind of stuff when you're doing all your compilation and debug in, uh, in Visual Studio right now. And like I said, it's an area they're definitely working on. Hopefully, that'll get better to where I'll want to stay in there. But the other variant they've just recently introduced that that is sort of even more attractive to me is they now have debugging with Visual Studio Code on either the iOS side or on the Windows side with with Android in their Android emulator. So, you can basically just use Visual Studio Code. Um, It has, you know, built-in... basically integrates with the command line stuff itself. So you can issue your builds from inside Visual Studio Code, set breakpoints in Visual Studio Code, and you're hitting those running against either the Android emulator or on the iOS side running against the uh, simulators or physical device. Do you remember when Visual Studio Code was just going to be an editor? Yeah. Well, and it is somewhat, you know, it's kind of disappointing when you compare like startup time already against Sublime, because when it first came out, it's like, oh, this is going to be so much better than Sublime. Right. One of the things I've always loved about Sublime is the sub-second, you know, opening. There it is. Um, Yeah. And as all these new features have been getting added to VS Code, I've noticed the startup times getting, you know, it's still a few seconds at most, but it's just enough to be noticeable. And it's like, oh, don't go too far, guys. Don't turn this thing into Mm. the big pig. Yeah, I know this path. I've been on this path before. (laughs) Exactly. So what about Xamarin? When do you use Xamarin? Well, certainly the uh, the answer to that has changed here with uh, the information released at Build with yeah, Microsoft no with Microsoft buying them and making it free everywhere. That was the number one barrier, you know, with most customers I would talk to mm-hmm. and propose Xamarin. That you know, previously it was a thousand dollars per developer per platform per year. Mm. And that didn't sit well with customers, a lot of customers anyway. Now, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, well, how much, you know, does your developer time cost? Because there are, you know, certainly time hits depending on the path you go down. Um, I'm not I'm not convinced there was that substantial of a time difference between Cordova versus Xamarin before, and that's not changing anytime immediately. Uh, but the fact that there's no price differential now it, I would definitely rather be building something that I know is going to be compiled to native from a performance perspective. Right. Uh, you know, I'm a strong XAML guy. So as Xamarin Forms is getting bigger and more mature and easier to use, you know, that's a huge win to me, especially crossing it with developers who are developing for desktop with WPF mm. or, you know, other fl- or UWP. Um, so, you know, th- that combination of things to me, already pretty much outweighed the cost. Uh, but now that there's no cost, I think, you know, hands down, my general idea would be to go to go to Xamarin, unless you're talking about a tool, a team of web developers. If your right. entire team... I mean, it really comes out of the skill set. Yeah, exactly. If they've never done XAML before, if they haven't spent their time in C-sharp-based UI frameworks, um, and they're, but they're strong web developers, then throw them Cordova. They're going to be more productive there. Yeah, I mean, you still have to learn the environment you're working in and just having you talk through what your stack looks like for the dev cycle, I think just speaks to this isn't just building a web page. 
But, no, that's uh, very, at least you haven't changed true. the language as well. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of it is just getting your tool chain composed and right. understanding how to use that tool chain. We, we, you know, we're having some pressure from the customer just recently. Uh, we're actually planning on shipping, actually putting it in the store here within a week. And, you know, there were some things he's like, can't we shrink the schedule by throwing more bodies at it? And it's like, With well, the man, but- <laughs> exactly. But uh, especially in this case, because it's like, even if they're rock stars with JavaScript, if they have never worked with the Cordova tool suite, they're going to be unproductive for at least a week, you know, just figuring it all out. And of course, then there's the domain knowledge of ramping someone up too late. But uh, yeah, just being a web developer doesn't mean you're, you know, you're immediately productive in this environment, but it definitely means that once you get used to the tool chain, and you accept the fact that for everything that you're going to do, it's going to take longer because of the way the debug cycles are, um, you know, then you are productive. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time for me to stop using my JavaScript-based alarm clock. I woke up a day late this morning. <laughs> Not an hour late, a day late. <laughs> yeah, haven't you ever woke up a day late? So how how did this happen? Oh, yeah, that date object really kind of sucks, doesn't it? It'll get you sometimes. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Component One Studio Enterprise collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications. Component One's flagship product, Component One Studio, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Mads Taustrup. Congratulations, Mads. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. And uh, Mads just won a Component One Studio from our friends at Component One in Grape City. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And now, Brian, it's your turn. You've done this a few times. You know the drill. What are you going to buy with five grand, buddy? Uh, it's fairly easy one, a new MacBook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the best darn laptop for running Windows. It really is. And this one's, what, a whole two years old. So clearly I need a new one by All now. Right. <laughs> and it's the one place you know you could spend more than five grand on a computer. Oh, yeah. yeah. With accessories, easy. Load it up. Load it up. <laughs> it turns into a beast. But it's worth it. Okay. I got to say it's worth it. I've never regretted the, the the one I've got when I, you know, threw in all the accessories and stuff. It was just over 5K. And uh, yep. at the time, I was like, Phew, that's that's crazy. But, uh, you know, just the performance of this thing across the board, it's a great laptop, whether Windows or Mac OS. I have one as well. And uh, I, do you miss the, the touch? Do you find yourself reaching for the screen? That is, yeah, it's, since I've had Surface Pro 3 and use that a lot of my time, I stab, yeah. the, stab the screen and then have that <laughs> moment of, why isn't this working? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Oh, it's me. But then conversely, Mom, the magazine's when, broken. But then conversely, when I jump on the, and when I've been on the MacBook for a while and I jump on the, uh, the Surface, 
I'm like, what is up with this touchpad? Even though I have the Surface Pro 4 keyboard now, yeah. which helped a lot, that got a lot better. But still, their touchpads and and, that, and this isn't even their newfangled touchpad with whatever you know stuff they added in the last increment. Yeah. But, uh, the sensitivity and accuracy of that thing, I, I find I don't even want a mouse. Yeah. I'm with you. I love it. Um, I I am almost used to pressing function delete when I want to use the actual <laughs> delete well, key. That the scroll wheel are the other two things since I jump back and forth that I do get confused a lot and I should just find whatever settings to reverse it on the Mac. Yeah. Um, or maybe on the, on the windows side, but if people don't know when you scroll, when you use a mouse scroll wheel in Mac OS, it's the opposite direction from what windows does. And so I find myself going, why isn't the scrolling down? <laughs> yeah. It's funny how much you, those keyboard reflexes are affected when you switch between modes like that. Make you crazy. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I think it's interesting to think through, and it's certainly something that's been on my mind a fair bit, the evolution of a developer, even coming from the web world. You know, when you're working, this is whole idea of working from a desktop machine to build apps for a desktop machine, whether it's in the web browser or not, it's almost irrelevant. It's like you are on a machine similar to what your customer is using. But as soon as you're building for phones, you're not. Yeah, and it, it, it and it may. I mean, I really appreciated hearing you talk about the lengthening of the cycle because you have to get to those devices to know your app is running. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, it's kind of a an evolution from like starting with the the Windows side when you're in Visual Studio Tools for Cor Cordova, you can fire up uh, Ripple, which is a plugin to Chrome. And so you can deep and it emulates, you know, it, it, it emulates kind of the fact that you're on a small screen. It can do a little bit of emulation of like, uh, uh, geo coordinates and stuff inputs, but it's still essentially running in the browser. And mm. so there's inherent differences there that, you know, you end up burning yourself sometimes because you're like, Hey, works great. Move on. And then you go <laughs> run it on a device, you know, a week later, if you're doing it wrong yeah. <laughs> and you go, yeah. whoa, 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 what's wrong with this? Yeah, you can't yeah. even remember, make the tie to what you did. So, you know, next step up from that is to run it in an emulator. But again, an emulator can't do everything and it doesn't do everything exactly. We found um, that to be the case with Ionic, especially that we yeah. had to run it on the device. And typically the people that were testing it were the customers, but they loved it. They, they wanted <laughs> to do that. So, yeah. 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 And then, the, you know, like I said, this, the cycle time is actually, you would think getting it on the device and debugging from there was a lot slower, but I don't find it to be at least with the current incarnation of, of, of VSDO or uh, yes, taco is their uh, taco is their <laughs> code name for tools for Apache Cordova. Ah. So, you know, Taco's just got a, it seems like an inherently slow build process, whether you're just on Windows for Android or uh, building over on the the remote build environment. Because mm. like I said, uh, at the command line Cordova build iOS uh, for our app right now is about two and a half seconds. Turns out Taco, um, not so spicy. <laughs> nice. Not yeah, so zippy. <laughs> well, I think, you know, especially for that one, since they're going, you know, cross environment, cross the network, really, yeah. to get to their little remote build age. And I'm sure there's some sort of polling type stuff going on that's not optimized for performance. But I'm amazed how rock solid it is. It does work very well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's little tricks. You, and, and, and across the board, working with Cordova, there's just lots of little tricks you have to learn, you know, just things like... 
the, the ultimate one is things just suddenly stop working, entirely stop working. App crashes won't start type stuff just yeah. out of the blue. And you just go, what did I do? Right. What did I do to cause this to change <laughs> one line of code? And it turns out that you didn't do anything. Something about the build process did something weird. Hmm. And what happens is your the underlying compiled code for a given platform just it's just not cutting it anymore. So, you know, the number one trick I'd say you have to learn is when you get one of those like really big weird things, the first thing you do is just go remove the platform and add it back. It takes about 10 seconds at the command line, hmm. but that's cleared those kind of problems for me a number of times just this morning. Wow. Turn in fact, it off. I went through one of those. Turn it off, turn it back on again. It's tried and true method, isn't it? <laughs> yep. And then in a similar vein, any plugins you're using, you know, if you're getting any kind of weirdness that even smells like it could have to do with plugins, just go uninstall all the plugins and reinstall them again. Again, at the command line, you're talking about, you know, 30 seconds of effort if you have your list handy. That's how Humphrey uh, Bogart said he fixed the engine and the boat and the African queen. He says, I just kick it and spit on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, think about how far down the code path you could go fooling yourself thinking you did something wrong before you realize your infrastructure is betraying you. Go kick it. Exactly. Yeah. So well, that's why I, you know, I, I had one of those, like I said, last night I hit something where all of a sudden it was just crashing on startup and the, the things crashing on startup are the hardest things because all the debugger opportunities you have across all those different tool suites you can't be attached from start. Right. The, de- the debug tools have to attach after the fact, after it's fired up in the, you know, essentially on a browser viewer in the device. Mm. So any kind of initialization and startup b- bugs are just really tough to diagnose. So it, we, it means that you need more instrumentation and testing. Is there, I mean, there's some test clouds out there and things like Amazon and uh, even Xamarin has one. Are you utilizing any of these things or are you just doing good old-fashioned hand testing on devices? For this particular app, we're doing good old-fashioned hand testing. And Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, probably a good example of one of those places that we talked ourselves into that'll take too long when it really would have saved time. Yeah, right. We've been on the cusp of release for several weeks now. Mm -hmm. um, And I had an opportunity to, to... get a resource um, and start testing it on Xamarin Test Cloud because if people don't realize, even though it's Xamarin Test Cloud, it's not particular to Xamarin platform. So you could test Cordova apps on there just mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should have done that in in hindsight, but uh, you know, kind of passed on that opportunity because we were just about to release and everything was great. But a little bit of scope creep here, a few bugs discovered there, and mm-hmm. three weeks later, we're still trying to get it out the door. So, On the other hand, now you've learned Test Cloud. You, I got to think now having that in your pocket has got to be pretty powerful. Well, we didn't actually go down that path is what I'm saying. Well, you, have, you haven't no, yet. We're, we're still doing manual test. Okay. So uh, I, I wish I wish we had because we probably would have, you know, with some of the bugs we've discovered recently, probably would have discovered them, you know, weeks earlier. It, it probably wouldn't have shortened the timeline at all, but we just would have estimated the timeline better. Yeah, it totally makes sense. It, I, when you are building apps with Xamarin, what's that debug cycle look like? How is it different from the Cordova one? Well, you know, you're more, it feels more like Windows desktop development to me right. because, hmm. you know, you still got that gap of you're either running on an emulator or you're running on the device and there's some inherent slowness to that. 
uh, you know, just kind of the transferring of the bits and getting them spun up and having the de- debugger attached so you can actually hit breakpoints. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're just, you're in an IDE, whether it's Visual Studio or the Xamarin IDE, and you're writing mostly .NET code, uh, possibly some some XAML if you're doing the Xamarin form stuff. Mm-hmm. So it feels, a, you know, a heck of a lot more like desktop development than the Cordova route does. That's, I mean, that's nice. So is the cycle actually faster or is it just more comfortable? I think it's probably actually faster depending. Like I said, the cycle time is incredibly fast with Cordova on the, on the iOS, iOS side. Right. Mm-hmm. Other than just having to reset the breakpoints, which again, gap debug supposedly uh, is great for that. And I just haven't, I found out about a few days ago and, and haven't had time to give it a chance. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think the overall tool chain compilation, you know, deployment onto the device is probably a bit faster uh, with uh, especially getting it on, for example, getting it onto iOS as opposed to Visual Studio through remote build on iOS or on Mac OS, getting it onto iOS is probably a little bit slower. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the big thing is you still have to get to a Mac to deploy to an iPhone. I mean, it's just not optional. Yeah, and that's the that's the bigger, you know, and it's not just the iOS side. It's not like the Android side is lickety split. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just more an artifact of mobile that you're, you know, you're compiling on one machine, transferring to another machine, spinning up the process, attaching a debugger across a, some sort of network connection. It's right. just inherently, I mean, it's kind of like we've got all our, our backend services for this or web API running in Azure. And... Uh, the you know slowness when you you know the cool feature that saved our butt a, a bunch of time is that you can attach the Visual Studio debugger to your web APIs and web apps running in Azure. You know the downside of it is that's another one of those very slow processes. You know you you get it attached and maybe one out of five times it just refuses to attach and so you got to right. shut down Visual Studio and open it again and get kind of a clean communication path. Yep. And then you click to set a breakpoint, and sometimes it's there right away. Sometimes 30 to 60 seconds later, with not responding in the title bar, it comes back, and you've got your breakpoint, and you're ready to do your run. Hmm. So there's just lots of little, you know, slow points like that, and and that's another one that adds to that lack of productivity in the mobile side. Is inherently you're talking to services on just about any mobile app. Sure. But depending on which emulator and environment you're running in, those can't talk to local hosts very easily. Uh, so a lot of times I'm finding it m- more expeditious. Uh, you know, once the the bulk of the services are already written, um, just publishing them up to the to the Azure Web App and then attaching the debugger there. So if anything blows up, mm. you've already got a debugger attached, and you can see why. Instead of just getting a 500 back and going, oh, now I got to go see what's going on back exactly. there. Man, you give me chills now remembering the original versions of remote debugging for ASP.NET. And, you know, sometimes it attached, sometimes it didn't, sometimes the breakpoint fired, sometimes they didn't. Like, it oh, was yeah, just, definitely. Yeah. It was terrifying. Yep. Hey, are you using a hockey app or any other um, distribution th- the app or platform to get your builds in the hands of your customers? No, see, I'm violating all my own rules on this project to a certain degree. Should be using a hockey app or test flight. Um, the you know, it, this one is a it's a startup. Yeah. Uh, it's a minimum viable product kind got of it, release. Yeah. So there's always the get it done quick and cheap 
mentality that drives things and and makes me make decisions against my better judgment. You know, I don't think we've even talked about Hockey App on this uh, on the show, Richard. Uh, HockeyApp.net, H-O-C-K-E-Y-A-P-P.net. This was acquired by Microsoft. It's basically a way that you can publish out beta versions and collect crash reports and get feedback and uh, analyze test coverage and stuff. And, and it's great for getting uh, your builds out to customers and testers without having to publish in the app store. And of course, you don't want to do that, right? So this is it's a really nice way. We use this in our projects as well. It's been working out good for you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I heard about it at, I guess, MVC, MVP Summit last year, and I've had it on my to-do list to look into, but just haven't gotten deep enough with it yet to be comfortable dropping it into the project. Well, and it sounds like you've, you know, you've got a, a, a tight-knit uh, cycle there that doesn't really yeah. involve a whole lot of people. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. We're a small team. Yep. While at the same time admitting that you're breaking all your normal policies, <laughs> and, and it also sounds like you're being punished for it, too. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I have to admit that. Yeah, no, so don't I, do what I, I, I do. and I really do appreciate you say. saying as much. It's like we all do this, right? Exactly. And, you know, no, no righteousness from Mister Noise. It's like, yep, I've broken my own rules, and it's kicking my ass. Yeah, that's ha- that happens. <laughs> no it absolutely pride. happens because you think you know, right? Right. Yep. It's it's very easy to uh, you know pe- preach from the pulpit, speaking at conferences and stuff about oh yeah what you should do, and then you feel the same. Uh, same pressures and, and trade-offs and stuff that the mere mortal developers in the trenches feel and sure. make some of the same decisions against your best judgment. But you do get a pass because it's such a small project. It's an MVP. You got a, a close-knit team. I, it, it's analogous to writing Windows Forms apps, you know, when you're just going to show them to Bob down the hall or something like that. It's not right. You don't have to go through a whole lot of hoops to, to get it done. Yeah, mm-hmm. this one, this one, at least the first release is going to go out to a sufficient number of people that it makes me nervous that we haven't done some of these things, but it doesn't lose me sleep at night because, because of the nature of the release. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to think if you get, if it gets past the initial phase and you are going to get oh, a new version. Those are right on the top of my list of what we do next. <laughs> yeah. And in some ways you're more diligent about it because you didn't do it and it did hurt you. You're like, I'm not doing this again. Mm. Yeah, and I can't say it's really, you know, hurt us bad. Um, right. You know, yeah. There have been a few, especially just in the last few weeks, there have been a few bugs that popped up on stuff that we haven't touched in, you know, a month. And if we had that stuff in there, we would have discovered it a lot earlier. And like I said, it probably wouldn't have shortened the timeline at all. We just would have been better at saying how long that timeline was going to be. Right. So, yeah. you know, I think in terms of making sure you've discovered all your, you know, especially those kind of regression type bugs on stuff you thought you were done with, but, you yeah. know, you broke it at some point changing something else. Yeah. Having those test suites in there would, would you know, catch those earlier. Sure. So the question is, is it truly a prototype? Will you throw it away if you get a commit to write something new? Oh, no, no. This is going, I mean, it's it's a production app. It's just a, it's more of a beta, really. Mm, but, right. Uh, as we started it, it was being titled as a minimum viable product, an MVP. Um, but I wouldn't technically call it an MVP based on the size of the audience we're going out to. Uh, but it is definitely a beta. Uh, and I would definitely fight strongly for the budget and time, you know, before we declared it being out of beta to do some of that other stuff. Yeah, no, totally, totally fair. And, and you know, like I said, it's an obvious path we get down to a certain point with a bit piece of software. 
I, I guess the fun part about also being a speaker and things is not only you get that moment of humility, but also that nice dose of hypocrisy on top <laughs> of it. <too. laughs> yeah, indeed. There's so many more ways to hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're willing to admit it to yourself. Yeah. 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 So, Brian, what's next on your list? What's what are you what are you going to be doing in the next month or so? Well, I mean, that's been sucking up a lot of my time, but I'm always on at least a few projects at a time. I've got a uh, a WPF app I've been working on with a customer that's that's pretty cool little kind of personal utility app. Mm-hmm. Um, not totally public yet, so can't talk all about it, but uh, that's going to be, you know, back into the WPF bin, which, you know, is a comfortable place for me. And, sure. you know, that's part of the message I'm always trying to get out there is, is WPFs alive and well. It's one yeah. of those. Do you, do, you, uh, do you bring Prism with you on a project like that? Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, I okay. mean, you know, a lot of people have their own custom framework they built for for building stuff. But if you're going to go into you know any XAML stack, whether it's WPF, Xamarin uh, Forms, any you know any of those arenas, unless you're talking about an app that's only a few screens wide, um, you know, you really should have a some good UI separation patterns like MVVM in there. You need some good support for keeping things decoupled and maintainable and so on. So for me, that's Prism because I've been, you know, in depth with Prism from the beginning and and now technically co-owner of it, but uh, certainly don't feel it the last few months, as I said. Uh, for others, it's, you know, Caliber Micro or it's MVVM Lite or it's uh, custom frameworks like, uh, you know, Marcus from EPS has his own WPF framework that's very nice. Uh, you need that kind of support uh, of having a good mature framework yes. underneath you. Speaking of Caliber, and we recently talked to Rob Eisenberg about Aurelia, and it, it occurred to me that this is something that you ought to be doing because he, he sort of <laughs> well, took, he sort, I, don't, I don't know if you are, but he sort of took the whole model of MVVM and just sort of brought it to the web with yeah, uh, remember, remember how I talked about being overcommitted? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm two modules away from finishing Aurelia Fundamentals for Pluralsight. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) How cool is it? See, I was thinking. I was thinking Brian's going to be all over this. Uh, I have been for too long is the problem. that that (laughs) keeps getting pushed aside by these other deadlines. So I am, you know, my latest commitment to to Jason, my editor there, is uh, to get it done by the end of this week, which really means by the end of the weekend, which probably means it'll spill into next week. But I think I will actually be done by, you know, next week sometime. You're going to need a nap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ship this mobile app get my get my aurelia course out i'll be taking a deep breath all right no well kidding. but i've already got two other projects i'm working on too so brian, no rest for the wicked well brian we're gonna see you at dev intersection right absolutely all right yay orlando here we come ah <laughs> right. uh, it's the swan man the hotel's beautiful it's, it's sold out too we're putting people over to cyprus now yeah, and I wasn't being facetious. I actually am looking forward to it, and especially the Swan. It's a great place. Yeah. Well, and this the whole bar. We're going to have the whole bar to ourselves. Nothing but geese. <laughs> Watch out, Orlando. Free, free stock. Yep. What's your favorite scotch, I'm sure? Mickey's not going to know what hit him. <laughs> All right, Brian. Thanks for spending this time with us. It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
.NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.